need that. I don't need that. No. For those that didn't clap, you're like going, oh, man, I wish preacher was here. Okay, I'm okay with that too. We're good. Um, but we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. So um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 3. Go and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Okay, if they're there, say amen. amen. All righty. Oh, okay. Some people aren't there yet. <laughs> Some people are saying, oh, me. I'm not there yet. John chapter 3. If you're there, say amen. amen. All righty. Okay. Start in verse 1. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, most importantly, Lord God, for your word. Lord, your, 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 your word says that it will not return void. So, Lord God, I just pray right now. Lord, for what you're going to do. Lord, we want your presence and for you to be seen and lifted up today. Lord, it's not about an individual. It's not about a personality. It's not even about a church. Lord, it's all about you. And Lord, I pray right now that you would just make yourself evident. Lord God, I pray that you would would anoint me with the, the words to say. Lord, if there's something you want me to say, I pray I say it. And Lord, if there's something you don't want me to say, Lord, I pray that you would keep me mouth, my mouth shut. So Lord, I just love you. I thank you. I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All righty. I titled the message, The Main Thing. The Main Thing. Stephen Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? Keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing, Okay. And when we talk about, talk about uh, church or, or the Christian life or whatever, there is a main thing that we need to always make sure we keep the main thing. And when I look in this book, there is one main thing. There, first of all, there's a person who is the main thing, and that person is Jesus. Okay? He is the main thing of the Bible. But also the main thing or the main thing we see in, in what's discussed and talked about is m- m- more uh, specifically is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So basically, the, the fact that, that he came to this earth, lived a sinless life, went on a cross, died for our sins, three days in the ground, rose again with the keys of death and hell so that we may have eternal life. Amen? Amen. That is the main thing. And so in, in my attempts tonight is really to talk to two different groups of people. There's only two types of people in this world. Only two types. There's not the smart and the, and the unsmart or uneducated. I don't want to say dumb. I don't want to say that. Um, it's, 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 not, it's not black or white, color of our skin. That's not different types of people. Um, there's not people that maybe are, are rich or, or poor. That's not the different types of people. There are only two types of people in this world. Those that are lost and those that are saved. Those are the two types of people in this world. So I want to talk to two different groups of people, okay? One group is if you're lost, and I will say in a crowd this size, there is somebody in here who doesn't know Christ, okay? So there's somebody here that's lost. I want to talk to you, that person that is lost. I want you to see 
the importance of salvation. But for those of you who are saved, I want you all to see the importance of salvation. Because it's important that whether you're lost and you need to know the importance of salvation and why you need salvation. But for those that are saved, we need to have a reminder of how important, really, our salvation is. And what that should motivate us to do. So before I get started, I wanted to kind of tell you a little bit of my uh, salvation story. I'm not originally from Alabama. Uh, so half of y'all stopped listening to me right there. You're like, you're a foreigner. Okay, I'm from Georgia. Some of y'all even got worse, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm a, somebody say Georgia cracker, whatever you want to call me, I'm from Georgia, okay? Um, some people say that I'm still kind of a foreigner, but I'm thinking, okay, we're all from the South, okay? So, but I, I did grow up a little bit outside of Atlanta, Georgia, which would, then y'all would say I'm totally not a Southerner because Atlanta is basically like a big city in a Northern, whatever. But I'm originally from Georgia. And so um, I grew up, and my mom and dad both did not go to church. And so for a long time, I, I knew of the church. My grandparents went to church. I was the, you know, go at Easter, maybe go at Christmas. You definitely have to go on Mother's Day so the grandmother is happy, you know. everybody got to keep grandma happy. But that was kind of my, my, my church experience, if you may say. Well, we were in, in Gwinnett County, Georgia, and um, if you all know anything, go up 85, and when traffic gets bad, <laughs> that's Gwinnett County, okay? Um, very, very busy area, and my ninth grade year, um, my mom says, hey, we're going to sell the house, and we're going to move to Conyers, Georgia, which is about uh, 20 minutes east of Atlanta on 20. If you don't know where Conyers is, it's Conyers, Covington, like nothing until Augusta, okay? So it's like that's the last part of civilization you see until you get to Augusta. Um, but here I am kicking and screaming, going, it's, it's my ninth grade year, you're taking me away from my friends, you know, this is the, supposed to be the best four years of my life, and you're doing all that. When we get to Conyers, Georgia, and actually my cousin is there, and he's two years older than me, so he's a junior and I'm a freshman. I'm already cool now, because I have a junior uh, family member that's at, that's at the high school. But he invites me to church. And he says, hey, come to our church, go to the youth group, all that kind of stuff. Um, I actually end up going there, meet a couple of friends, including some girls. Um, and so those girls are talking to me on the phone one night, and they say, hey, you need to be saved. And I'm like, what does saved mean? <laughs> you know, am I, am, I like, am I like in the water or something, and I'm falling and I'm drowning? What's the deal? I'm saved from what? Um, you need to be saved. Okay, how do I do that? Well, you just say this prayer along with me. I'm like, all right. Boy, that was awesome, and, and, and I will say this. I was kind of sweet on one of those girls, so part of maybe I was doing it because of that. But whatever they said, I was like, cool, that's awesome. And that was like at the time we had three-way calling. I don't know if anybody remember that. I know we have that now, but it was like really cool that you like press the flash button and like talk to somebody else. You're like, hey, are you there? Wait a minute, okay? Hey, are you there too? And then you had three people on the line, okay? Um, but we did all that. So basically, okay, I said this. Go to my youth group, say, I got saved, oh, that's wonderful, and they, they're like hugging me and giving me Bibles and all this kind of stuff, and, and so six months later, I said, I'm going to wait, they're like, you need to get baptized, I'm like, cool, what is baptism, all right, um, you're going to put me in water and do what, okay, I thought I was already saved from that, because, um, you know, I thought I was drowning, uh, never mind, um, but uh, again, but so... Um, I get baptized. I want to wait six months because um, my dad at the time was living in Chicago, Illinois. So I want him to be there for it and all that kind of stuff because baptism is a big deal. So I do that six months later, get baptized, all that kind of stuff. Well, then two, or two years rock along and I'm 16 years old. And I come to a place where I realize, you know what? I just made a profession. 
I just, I just said the prayer because that was what you were supposed to do. And I got baptized because that's what you're supposed to do. And hey, those girls that I like, they thought it was cool. So hey, it must be cool. And I came to a place and I was 16 years old. And I said, you know what? I realized I was a sinner and I needed Christ. And so in my bedroom at 16 years old, under Holy Spirit conviction, I knelt by my bed and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I will say this, and, and this is a side note commercial. Pride uh, got in the way because I'd already said, hey, I've been saved, I've been baptized. I didn't get baptized scripturally probably about three or four years ago in Temple Baptist Church because I was too ashamed of the fact that I'd made a profession and all that kind of stuff. And God kind of delivered me from that. Um, but that is my, is my testimony, is that, is that Christ came to me and said, you know what, I, you're a sinner first and foremost, and I want you with me, and, and I came to that place where I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord. And so what we're going to see tonight, what we're going to see tonight is what we're going to do is we're going to go through um, three pictures, three pictures of salvation and, and, and maybe paths or steps towards salvation that somebody takes, and we're going to go through John chapter 3. We're going to read the whole entire chapter, so we're going to have a lot of scripture we're going to talk about, okay? Um, but let's go ahead and go back into, into verse number 1. Let's start there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these things that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth. So every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto them, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? So the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the seeker's description. The seeker's description. The seeker's description. Every single person on the path to salvation comes as a seeker. Like me, I, I, I didn't know things, but I was interested. I was, um, I, something piqued my interest. That, you know what, maybe there is something to this. So the seeker's description, and, and, and basically, specifically who we're talking about is about Nicodemus. Now let's talk about Nicodemus a little bit. Nicodemus is, first of all, a Pharisee. So being a Pharisee, he knew the law, okay? He was a religious man, very educated. Um, not only that, but he was in a place of authority. He was a ruler of the Jews. So here's a guy that, for all intents and purposes, we see over here, he should have it all together. He should have all the answers because he's a religious man, he's the educator, he's even in a place of authority. But see, religion wasn't doing for him what he saw Jesus doing for others. It wasn't about religion, okay? All right? But there were, there were two things, two things that we see here. First of all, we see his curiosity. We see his curiosity. He comes to Jesus by night, and he said to Rabbi, who, know, 
or we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He was curious. He had seen something. If you go back in the chapter, the chapter before, you actually see that the miracle that he's talking about is, is Jesus turning the water into wine. Okay, so I don't know if he was at the, at, the, at the wedding or whatever, but he saw those things, and maybe even other miracles that may not be recorded in this, but other miracles. He saw something in Jesus that piqued his curiosity. Hopefully we're living a life now as Christians. Again, I'm going to try to talk to both sides. Hopefully we're living a life now that we're living our lives in a way to where people look at our lives and say, you know what, I don't really understand that whole Jesus thing, but what I see in your life, it's got me curious. It got me wondering about what maybe, you know, is going on there. So we do see his curiosity. He just wanted to know because I've, I've not seen this before. I've read and studied and, and all these kinds of things, but you're doing things that I've never seen. So we see his, his curiosity, but we also see his confusion. His confusion. It says, Jesus answered unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born? He was confused. He said, Born again? I've already been born. So now I'm an adult, so now you're telling me that I have to go physically back into my mother's womb and be born again? He totally didn't get it. He was confused, wasn't he? And I always say this. Sometimes as, 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 as church people or whatever like that, we use terms like lost, saved. We use words like uh, sanctification, and redemption, and we use all these words, and sometimes I think we, we, I say we, I'm guilty of saying, you know, let's, let's not try to say all these fancy words, because some people may be a little bit confused, okay? When I say lost and saved, for those that maybe be lost in here, when I say lost, I'm just saying lost means a sense of you're not in a place where you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you, okay? You don't understand the gospel. You didn't come to a place to where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, and that's important that you know what that is. It is unbelief, okay? But there was some curiosity and confusion, and obviously what, what Jesus does is he says, no, let me clear that up for you a little bit. It says, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's two different births in different ways. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that is, that is born of the Spirit is the Spirit, and that's what he was talking about, was being born of the Spirit. Now let me go on, on a on a little bit of a track here too, because I want you to understand that if you're in a place right now where you don't, um, you're not in a place where you have been born again in the Spirit, and maybe you're getting frustrated, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that, I'm trying to get to a place to where I can do all these things, and so finally I can go to Jesus. That's never going to work. Because all you're, going, all you're doing is what your flesh wants to do. Flesh is flesh. And you're born of flesh. So when, when you come to a place to say, okay, I want to do better, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail, and you fail, all you're doing is what your nature is, your flesh. Don't, don't, get, don't beat yourself up about that because that's where you are right now. You've only been born once. You've been born of flesh. We've been born sinners. Now, being born of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit, now what, what my flesh is desiring, now my spirit over here is desiring different things, Right? Okay, so I'm being born of the Spirit and born of the flesh. Now, some of y'all will say, well, wait a second, Buchanan. I'm saved, but I'm still struggling. Well, it's not that you get born, born once and then you get born again and the flesh goes away. You still contend with the flesh. And the flesh is going there. You know, I will tell you this. The Spirit's going one way and the flesh is going the other. And so you have that, that, that battle. 
The difference is between someone who's lost or saved, the person with the flesh, all the, they, you can't help it. You can't help it because it has control of you. But the person who's born of the Spirit, you have a choice. You, I, somebody says, well, you know, uh, okay, I'm, I'm saved, but I still sin. That's true. But in this place of when you're saved, you are making a conscious decision. Because that sin does not have control of you. So what you're doing is you're allowing that sin to have control in your life because you're born of the Spirit, okay? So the Spirit is constantly working with the flesh and, and going against the flesh. So he talks about that and says, Marvel not what I say unto thee. You must be born again. And he talks about, you know, the Spirit, obviously. And then he gives an illustration of the wind. You know, I can feel the wind. I can hear the wind. But I, I can't see the wind. And that's kind of how the Spirit is. You can feel it. You can hear it. But you just can't see it. So we see the secret description, there's his curiosity and his confusion. Now, some of y'all may or may not be able to relate to the confusion, so I had a little, a little story here that I wanted to help y'all with because I have a tendency to get a little confused. Uh, three sons were discussing the gifts they had brought, uh, bought their mother. The first had bought her a big house. The second had bought her a Mercedes with a driver. The third knew she loved the Bible, so he bought her a parrot which had, sp- had been specifically trained to recite Bible verses. All she had to do was suggest a reference, and the parrot would start reciting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, the first son got a letter saying it was a very nice house, but it was too big and took all of her time to clean. She didn't really like that one. The second son got a letter saying the car was much too big for her, and besides, the driver was rude. She didn't like that one either. But the third son. The third son got a letter saying, you're the only one who understands me. Your two brothers give me stuff I really don't want, but you're such a good son. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. I think we can all agree that that mother there was a little confused on what needed to happen. So as we see, and I always say this, from my standpoint, I told you my story. I came as a seeker. I, I was curious I went to this youth group and they were singing and clapping and talking about all these things and having a good time. And I thought, man, that, that, that kind of piques my curiosity. But I was a little confused because they started talking about salvation. And they started talking, talking about baptism and they started talking about all these things. And I, I was, if I'm being honest, I was, I was a little confused. And I just kind of made a decision just to, to, I guess, maybe appease somebody else. Okay? So that's, that, that's the first thing when you see is the seekers because everybody comes to Christ as a seeker, okay? Um, so let's read now into, go on in verse 11. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lift, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent His Son into the world, sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the, of the one, of the only begotten Son of God. 
And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that knoweth doeth truth cometh to the light, and his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So we see the seeker's, excuse me, we see the seeker's description. Now we see the sinner's deliverance. We see the sinner's deliverance. Sinner's deliverance. The first thing we see is the recognized condition. The recognized condition. Going back into our verses, verse, four, ver, verse uh, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Because I'm, some of you are probably thinking, okay, you know what, Buchanan? Seeker and sinner, they're the same thing. Not necessarily, okay? Um, because I will say this. Um, there are some people that are seekers that are not to a place that they realize they are sinners. I'll explain what I mean by that. So going by this, and, and Moses... And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I saw that, and at first I wanted to kind of skip over and just say, okay, that's Old Testament reference. Okay, I kind of understand, you know, he lifted up the serpent. We lifted up, or no, I shouldn't say we, which was our sin. But they lifted up Christ. Okay, that's the thing. But then I actually went and, and studied out what they were talking about. And so um, let's go into Numbers 21 one through nine, Numbers 21, one through nine, because I want to go into that story because I think sometimes we have a tendency to kind of skip over things, but this is an important detail. It says, and when King Arod, the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the ways of the spy, he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, if thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Ormah, and they journeyed from the Mount of Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was, was much discouraged because of the way. Okay, so let's kind of put a reference here. Okay, here's a situation. There's Canaanites arising up again. They come to the Lord and said, hey, if you'll help us, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you. So what does God do all the time? He steps in. Here we go, I'm going to do this. And then already right now, they're already discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have, we brought, uh, wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Haven't we heard that before? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. You see a lot in the, in the wilderness. God delivers, they start complaining. God delivers, they start complaining. Well, here's what the Lord did about that. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Don't ever murmur against God, okay? Um, And they murmured against God and against Moses, so don't talk about your preacher either. Um, Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent set upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, that he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. He lived. So let's go back and, and, and kind of frame this again. Here's the situation. They've, they've, they've defeated the Canaanites. They start moving. They start complaining. There's no water. There's no food. 
you know, you just brought us out here to die. And so the Lord brings fiery serpents to, or, or, or I'll say this, the, the Lord brings judgment, okay? And fiery serpents, and they bite them and all this kind of stuff. And so because of that, the, the serpents biting them, they're dying. He goes back to Moses, please, like they always do, please, please save us, please save us. And so God gives, gives Moses specific instructions on what to do. And it's important that we see what he told them to do. Because what was, what, was, what, was the, what was biting them that was making them die? Serpents. And what did God say to put on the pole? A serpent. Okay? So not only is the sense of, yes, raising up Christ and raising up, but what, what, what they were having to do, first of all, the, the, what was bringing apart judgment or the pain or the struggle or what was bringing apart death was the exact thing that they were going to have to have to have life. Okay? And the reason why I say that is, is, one, first of all, when he put up that pole, there were some people that probably said, you know what, I know we asked for help, but I'm not looking at that pole because I don't have faith that it's going to do anything. Okay? But when they looked at that pole, what they were having to look at was actually they were having to look at their sin on that pole. So the, one, the sin, because of the sin and, and, and and because of that sin, God brings in those fiery servants to bite them, and they die. The very thing that is biting them dying, Moses puts on a pole, and they have to look at it. And they have to look at their sin. And they have to acknowledge their sin. And they have to have faith that when they look at that serpent, that they'll live. I, I told you, I thought, some people would say, well, the seeker and the sinner are the same. I came as a seeker. But there came a place in my life where I had to realize that I was a sinner. And I had to come to a place where I said, okay, I, I am a sinner. I had to look at my sin and see what my sin did. My sin, your sin, put him on that cross. And the only way for me to find salvation was to look back at that cross and to look at my sin and be able to come to a place where I was going to accept his forgiveness. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us. He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of him. Okay? So not only do we recognize the condition of the fact that we are sinners, but then our condition as we go forward in verse 18, it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. There is, there is a definite condition that a sinner is in, and they are in condemnation. They are in a place of judgment. They are in a place um, of deter- uh, that's, that's been condemnation also means determined because he hath not believed in the name of the only Son of, begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their evils were deed. Christ came into this world and people like, people, their, their, their evils were deed and they wouldn't look at it. And it says, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. And I think sometimes with the gospel, and sometimes it can be somewhat offensive to some people that are on that center side, because they say, you know what, I don't want to look at my sin. I don't want to look at my, my, my pain and my, and my difficulties. I don't want to look at that. Because if I look at that, then I'm going to feel bad about myself. And so if I feel bad about myself, then I'm going to have to do something about it. And I don't want to do anything about it. And so there's a lot of people that are in that place of, okay, maybe you're here tonight and you're a seeker. You've been curious, you've been confused. Hopefully we've alleviated some of that confusion and some of that curiosity. But some of you are in that place right now. You realize and you've got to come to a place where you recognize that you're a sinner. 
because um, there is condemnation. And it says right here, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and he cometh, and that's about, about the reproving. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deed may be manifest, that they are rotten God. I think sometimes we get in a place, too, is that we're trying to figure, again, going back to works. If I do this and I do that and I do this, then I'll get saved. And or i got to do all these things in order to be able to get saved. But what it is is that we don't see the other side of the equation. When you look at that cross and you say, you know what? I look at that cross and it makes me feel bad and I need to do something about my sin and I feel reproved. I feel corrected for that. What they don't see is on the other side, us as saved people, we get to look at that cross and we get to see, we get to see redemption. We get to see forgiveness. We get to see that, that, that my deeds... The deeds that were over here that were evil that I looked at and it made me ashamed and it, and it caused me to, to, to not really want to go towards that because I wanted to kind of run from that. Over here, those deeds, what Christ can do is he can take those deeds and he can change us and he can use those deeds to, to do good works in him. And, and, and maybe we do a bad job as Christians of, of, of saying that, that both sides, okay? If you're a sinner and you don't know Christ, Yes, you're going to have to deal with your sin. But I promise you, when you deal with your sin, you're on the other side. God's going to do some great things through those things. I'll say this. Probably the, probably the best testimony, I don't have a great testimony, but probably the best testimonies are those that could probably stand one by one and say, you know what, that thing that was evil, that thing that was bad in my life before I was saved, man, God has used that over here and done amazing things with it. Because for me, I'll say this from my standpoint, I have, I, have, I have a testimony of, yes, that Christ saved me, that, but I didn't get delivered from a lot of things that a lot of people were delivered from. And so my, my ability to, to serve Christ, and I am serving Christ to the best of my ability, but there are some things that because I didn't go through some of the stuff that you went through, I'm not able to minister to some people like I, like I would love to minister to. But there are people, there are people, our life recovery, there are people that understand what it means to be in addiction. There are people that understand what it means to be in jail. And they can take it over here. And God can take that deed and use it to be an encouragement to somebody else. Amen? So not only do we recognize our condition, but we, we also see the received cure. The received cure. Now, if this doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. Because <clears throat> we're going to look at probably the most familiar verse in the Bible, but I think sometimes the most overlooked. Verse 15, but who, that whosoever... Believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It seems like verse 15 and 16, he, he says the same thing in both verses, with the one difference. The one difference is relationship. In verse 15, he, he clearly states, for whosoever, for whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And in the end of 16, you see, but that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But the beginning of 16, there's relationship. And I want to break down, because John 3, 16, we probably, most of us in here probably can, can quote that by memory. But I think sometimes we forget about what it, what it means and what it truly says. So let's break it down a little bit for God. The gift, or let me say this, salvation is a decision by God. God chose to provide a path for salvation for you. It started with him. And that nobody comes to Christ because that was, I think I'm going to do that. No, God draws people unto himself. For God, so loved, so loved. 
It's not just loved, but so loved. I use this example. I love people. I really love the people at Temple Baptist Church. But I really, really love that one right over there. <laughs> That's my wife. And she hates when I point her out, so don't look. Nobody look. Okay. I'll, I'll hear that later. But I really, really love my wife. I really, really love my kids. And what God is saying here is that for God, or, or, or what Jesus is saying here, for God so loved. He didn't just love you. He so loved you. He really, really loved you. That he gave. That he gave. What is a gift? A gift is giving something to someone without expecting anything in return. It was a free gift. He didn't expect anything in return. He knew you couldn't do anything in return. He just wanted to give you that gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There wasn't another son for him to say, well, if this one don't work out, I'll send that one. Only son. I'm an only child. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, now we understand. Um, <laughs> I'm an only child. I do have a half-sister um, on my dad's side, not on my mom's side. She's seven years younger than me and lived 10 hours away most of my life, okay? So for the all intents and purposes, I'm an only child, okay? But I promise you that there is a different... Um, I have two kids. I'll say this. I have two kids. Um, I have two kids, which is a good thing because after being an only child, I wanted to make sure I had two kids. And after my wife met me and found out I was an only child, she wanted to make sure that we had two kids <laughs> so that they didn't turn out just like me, I guess. But I have two kids. And I will say this. There are times with, and I, I love having two kids, but there are times when I have to spend a little more time with this one or a little more time with that one. Um, if this one messes up, hopefully this one does okay, you know, that kind of thing. I've got two kids. But when you, it's an only child, it's, it's them or bust, okay? And so, and my, and, and maybe, I, maybe I bust. So, um, but I will tell you this, it, my mom, and especially my mom, uh, my mom poured into me, and I, okay, we, were, we grew up poor, but I was spoiled poor, if that makes sense. Like it was like, I'm not going to eat lunch so that you can have a happy meal after, you know, so I was spoiled um, in that way. But my, my mom just totally poured into me because I was her only child. I was her only child, okay? <clears throat> so for God so loved the world, really loved you, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, anybody, whosoever, doesn't matter, whosoever, how many are you glad you're a whosoever? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, never die, never die, but have everlasting life, live forever. I'm thankful that, that Jesus says here there's a condition and there's a problem and there's condemnation. But I'm thankful that he said, you know what, there is condemnation but I've already taken care of the cure. Because even in the story with, the, with, with Moses, even though God knew he was going to send the fiery serpents, he already had a plan on how to save them. He already knew judgment was coming, and he had a plan to save them. I, 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 was gonna illust, I want to illustrate it this way. Um, <clears throat> my son was, was sick earlier in the week, and so um, I'm off on Mondays, so 
Dad's taking the kid to the doctor. That doesn't work out well um, because the doctor's going to ask all these questions and I have no clue because mom knows all those answers, okay? Um, but when I took him to the doctor, um, what was the first thing they did? They started asking, well, what's going on here and what's going on here? What's the symptoms? Is this going on? What's the, what is the condition? What is the condition? And then they come in and later and they say, okay, here's the condition. Now here is this medicine and this medicine and this medicine that is going to be the solution or the remedy for this condition. And so in, in the sense of, if, if, you're, if you're lost, if you're lost here, I want you to understand, I want you to clearly understand the importance of salvation. Because in this chapter, it's not, hey, get saved. It's not like the doctor coming in saying, you're sick, get better. It is, here's the issue, here are the conditions, here are the problems. But here is the solution, here's the cure to what you need. Christ is, our, Christ is clearly pointing out what the need is, and what the need is, and your condition. But he's giving you a cure, step by step, what you need to do. Okay? All right. So the first thing we see is the seeker's description. Then we see the sinner's deliverance. And lastly, we see the saint's duty. The saint's duty. <clears throat> okay. Um, I, I was not going to go all the way through here, but I wanted to, when I started reading this, I thought this this really needs to be in there. So you, let's, let's pick up in verse 22. Now, basically, the, we, have, we have a discussion with Nicodemus. You know, here's, here's, you know, you must be born again. Here's the plan of salvation. Here's why you need salvation, all that kind of stuff. So then a few days later, verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Enon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of his disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that is with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear, bear, ye, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. That he, he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. And he that cometh from, the he, from heaven is from above all. And, that he, and he hath seen and heard that he hath testifieth and, he, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by the measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things unto his hand. And he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So we see the saint's duty. So if nobody's been paying attention because you thought, oh, that's not for me, I'm saved. And I hope you didn't do that because... I think we really need a fresh reminder of why our salvation is so important. If you're saved, I want you to really pipe in right now and hear this. Okay? So you haven't listened to anything I've said, listen right here. So what is the saint's duty? What is the saint's duty? 
We have a situation here, okay, Jesus comes, he's coming to Judea, John is there with his disciples, they're baptizing, Jesus is over here with his disciples, he's baptizing, and so the disciples of John go to John and say, hey, he's on our turf. (laughs) I mean, literally, that's what's going on. Hey, wait a second, he's on our turf, he's doing things that, you know, aren't you, you know, aren't you having problems with this, all this kind of stuff, and what John does, what John does is a, he, he, he gives them a corrected attitude. A corrected attitude. First of all, we see a corrected attitude. <clears throat> he, said, he said, John answered them and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I, that I am sent before him. He corrected his disciples. Here's the biggest thing about the Christian life, and this is tough. you got to figure out it's not about you. And it's not about me. And I'm going to be completely transparent and honest and tell you I struggle with this so much. Because it's so easy in this society, in this world, because somebody will come and say you're doing this or say you're doing that, and it's so easy to get up in arrogance and pride. And start thinking it's about you. I, I can't tell you, and I, I'm being way transparent now, but I've been here for 10 years, and I thought, man, God, just answer my prayer. I just, I, I, I feel like this is where you want me to be, and you want me to be in ministry, you want me to be in full-time ministry, answer my prayer, because I want you to answer my prayer, because it's, I want, I'm like, wait a second. So for the past 10 years, it's all been about Me? And about what I wanted and what I desired. And, 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 and so we have a corrected attitude in the sense of nothing that we do in this world. As a Christian, nothing we do is about us. But we live in a society, don't we? Okay, everybody, do we live in a, live in a me society? Say amen. We live in a me society. It's about what I want, when I want, when I feel like it. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. Nobody's going to tell me what car I can drive. Nobody's going to tell me what kind of house I can have. Nobody's going to tell me how I'm going to raise my kids. Nobody's going to tell me how I'm going to treat my wife. Nobody's going to tell me anything because it's all about And it's not about me. It's never been about me. And John's trying to say, look, yes, you're my disciples. That's great. You're my disciples, and I appreciate that. And I'm glad that that I've been helping you and teaching you and stuff like that. But you're getting it all wrong if you think it's about me. You think it's about what me baptizing and where I baptize and who I baptize. I'm telling you, all it is is it's about him. It's all about him. So there's a corrected attitude. It's not about us. It's not about us. Our duty here on this earth is not to fulfill all of our wishes and our desires. That's not our duty. We have, we have one duty, and I'm about to say that, share that in just a minute. So we have a corrected attitude. And then he goes on in verse 29. He says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth, heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. So basically what he says, he uses the, the picture of a wedding and, 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 and the sense of, of, of the bridegroom, which is Christ, and the bride, which is church, uh, which is the church. And you have a situation where he's basically saying, and to relate this, it's like the best man. 
John's like the best man. John's like almost like the best man that kind of introduces the bridegroom and the bride. Okay? But what he's saying is, look, I don't go to the, to the wedding and go, hey, remember me? I introduced them. Remember? Hey, don't be looking at the bridegroom. Don't look at the bride. Look at me. He's saying, that's not what I'm doing. I'm the best man. If you're a good best man, I've never been a best man. I've been a, I've been a groom, but I've never been a best man. may say something about me. Maybe I'm not best enough. Um, but uh, I've never been a best man. But I tell you, and not to say that I had a great best man, but no, he was a good best man, if he ever hears this. Um, Andrew was a great best man. Um, but uh, he was a great best man. And the thing was, is that he understood the best man. The best man is there to do whatever it takes to make the groom feel good about it, um, encourage him, um, be an encouragement to that family. That best man is there to serve the groom. That was good stuff right there. That best man is there to serve the groom. And in this situation, the bridegroom is Christ. Okay? So what we see is we see a confirmed agenda. So basically what he's saying is the only way, we're all searching for joy, we're all searching for happiness. The only way, John says, the only way my joy is fulfilled is when I'm over there and I'm able to be like the best man and just say, man, look at that. Look at the groom. Man, look at the bride. Man, man, I'm excited. Man, my joy is fulfilled when I see what Christ is doing with his church. And, and, and if people are around me, I'm going, no, 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 no. It's not right there. That's the main attraction over there. Go, look at that. Look at that over there. And so we see a confirmed agenda. The saints duty, we have a corrected attitude. And we have a confirmed agenda. As you read on in chapter 4, you see this play out. And the sense of chapter 4 goes on, and you see the woman at the well, the Samaritan. And basically, Jesus tells her things that she didn't even know. And so she's just astounded by what he's saying. And so what does she do? She doesn't say, well, that's great. Let me just tell everybody about me. No, she runs into town. She runs into town. She gathers everybody and says, come, 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 come. It says, uh, John 4, 28 and 30, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And then we have, and then moving forward, John 4, 39 through 42, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. She's saying, uh, listen to me. Listen to what he said. Let me tell you about, and many people believed on that. So when the Samaritans come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there three days. And many more believed because of his own words. And he said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So our role, our role is to point people to him. That's our duty. Now I'll tell you this, I made a deal with God. Don't ever make a deal with God, okay? I promise you it's not going to work out for you on this side. But I made a deal with God. Um, I've been really burdened about inviting people to church. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to work here, I might as well tell people to come. Um, (laughs) But... um, 
but I was, I, I was burdened by inviting people to church. So I made a deal with God. So I said, hey, we got these little invitations. And I said, whenever I'm in a line, God, see, and this is how you make deals with God. You're like, okay, God. Um, whenever I'm in a line, whether it be a drive through line, pharmacy line, um, a line at the doctor's office, whatever. If I'm in a line and nobody's behind me, like I had to put like that clarification, like, hey, you know, let me, let me put some parameters here, some God in the box. And nobody's behind me. I'm going to invite that person to come to church. And so, um, so I've been doing that. That's what I've been doing. And, and like I said, don't make a deal with God because you'd be surprised. Town could be so busy. There could be lines out everywhere. I could be like the eighth car in line. And when I'm pulling up, I'm, there's nobody behind me. I mean, so eight people got, got their Big Mac before me, but nobody else wants a Big Mac anymore, God. I don't understand this. You know, but oh, so I'm like, nobody's behind me. Got to do my deal. Okay. Um, so I, I've been doing that. Now, l- l- let me say it from this standpoint. Um, what's coming up? Everybody say it. Christmas. Christmas. Um, and so we put out these invite cards. Now, here's the deal. We don't do these invite cards, and I want y'all to know this. We don't do these invite cards because we just want a bunch of people at Christmas. Okay, that's not the reason why we do that. Um, we don't put these invite cards out there so that you can grab one and throw them um, on the top of your dresser um, and look at them every once in a while and say, I probably should pick those up every once in a while. Not that I'm talking about anybody else that does that. I've done that before. Um, but, um, but we put these invite cards. Why? Why? These are tools. These are resources. Okay? These are, these are opportunities for you to go out in this world and say, here, come to this church, and we'll point you to Jesus. Okay? So here, here, here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you. And I'm going to tell you how to do this. Uh, first of all, we have invite cards out there, and I encourage you all to, to, to pick them up. I like the little ones because they fit in my wallet. I have one right now, so you know I'm not lying to you. Um, and if I... When I get my Big Mac later, I'll probably have to hand one of these out because nobody will be behind me. Um, but uh, I, encourage, I encourage you to, to hand these out. And, and, the reason, and here's what I want you to do. And here's why I made this deal with God. So you can do, say what you want about this. But I didn't want it to be a situation, don't do this. Hey, thanks for my Big Mac. Okay, don't, don't, this is not a drive-by invite, Okay. Okay, this is not a drive-by shooting invite. You're not like, hey, I'm going to get all these as quickly as possible, whatever. Okay, I want you to have a conversation with people. Okay, and, I, and uh, this, is, this is Preacher 101, so this is what he does. Um, here's what I want you to do. Ask them, do you get to go to church anywhere? Say that with me. Do you get to go to church anywhere? Say it again. Do you get to go to church anywhere? Okay, now, the reason why I want you to ask that question, because I don't want you wasting these. Okay. Guess what? If they say I go to this church, guess what? What you're going to say? Rock on. That's awesome. I'm glad you're there. I go to Temple Baptist Church, and I was going to invite you, but since you're at so-and-so church, awesome, okay? Don't be trying to church still people, okay? You can tell them about your church all you want, but, you know, just, I mean, and, and don't talk down about it. Like, you know, don't be like, oh, Daystar, mm, I've heard about them. You really need to come to Temple, okay? I'm just saying that because they're our friends, okay? They're our friends. Um, but do you get to go to church anywhere? Okay. Um, yes, I go to Blank and Blank Church. Awesome. That's great. I was going to invite you to Temple, but you're at your church. Great. But if they say no, then I want you to hand them an invite card and say, I'd really love to have you join us at Christmas. And just leave it at that. Okay. But, put, but use this as a tool because this is, here's what it is. Some of y'all are not going to feel comfortable 
actually sitting down with somebody and saying, okay, let me lay out the gospel to you. This is how you get saved. I understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm nervous as all get out. I can do this up here. I don't know how, but get me out in this crowd and talking to people. I get nervous. I'm just telling you. Um, some of y'all can't do that, but everybody can do this. Everybody can do this. And if, and if, you're, you, you, if you're the drive-by inviter, it's okay. God can do it, okay? God can do it through you. Um, I'll tell you this, I, God has been teaching me that I think sometimes we minimalize things we pray for. Um, I, God's been really burdening me. I'm telling y'all, for the past couple weeks, I've been praying. God, I'm about to go in this auditorium and shake people's hands that I don't know, and they're going to think I'm weird, and so I need you to deliver me from this and help me. And he has. Um, I've been real burdened by the fact that when I get up here and I welcome our, our VIPs, I pray every single time I get up here and say, God, touch me and anoint me and help me with this. Because I, I was in a place where oh, I'm just doing the VIPs. It's not a big deal. God cares about the little things. And he cares about you having confidence and boldness to be able to give this invite card out to somebody and be a friend to them. Okay? Because I will say this. It, this whole thing, all this kind of stuff, the, to a stranger, that really doesn't work a lot. Because you've got to, like, you got to build into somebody and really invest in that relationship so they trust you to be able to talk in that. But in, you can give anybody an invite to there, okay? I keep mine in my wallet. Um, I saw, I was in Jalen's car the other day. He had a bunch of them. Probably means he's not giving them out. Um, but uh, <laughs> you can tell, is he in here? I'm going to have to give him a hard time. Jalen, you in here? See, coward. He didn't want to hear my preaching. Um, but he puts them in the little, like, side tray, like little pocket thing on the door. So, you know, do what you have to do, um, but, but give these out because we have a duty. We have a duty. So I, I told you what I was going to do, um, and let me, let me say this, kind of in closing. We'll pray, and then I want to say one more thing. So when I pray, don't leave. There are two more times that we see Nicodemus in Scripture after this chapter. The first is when they try to arrest Jesus for the first time, and Nicodemus is the one who steps up and says, wait a second. Aren't you, basically what he says is, how are you going to judge this person without a trial? Okay? So he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, the son of God. He, he says, wait, wait a second, we have laws here, and you've got to abide by the laws and all that kind of stuff. And they go away. That's the first time. So that's, so that's what you see there. But then the last time is after Christ's death on the cross. And there are two people that prepared the body of Jesus, Joseph of, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus. So I don't know about you, but obviously he became a committed follower of Christ at some time and in some place. He was at a place where he committed Christ. And this really hit me. That next person you invite may be the next Nicodemus. Because to go from a place of being a seeker to a sinner to a saint, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think they took volunteers to prepare the body of Christ. This guy had been to a place to where he really, truly followed Christ and was able, to, was, was able to be a part of something very special. But better yet, if you're lost, you might be in the next Nicodemus. So whether we're the, on the safe side and we're the inviter, and that person could be the next Nicodemus, or whether they're the person that's lost saying, you know what, I don't know if this can happen God wants to do great things through your life. But you're going to have to come to a place to where you come to that cross and accept his salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day.
Lord, I thank you for the, your word and its truth. Lord, I'm thankful that we can look at what you did in salvation. Lord, the fact that you loved us so much that you gave that one and only son you had for us so that we could believe on him and not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that, first of all, maybe that person here who's lost, and hopefully that we've cleared up the confusion. Maybe we've gotten to a place to where we understand that, that we're sinners. It, it, it may be tough to look at, but, Lord, we have to look at the cross in order to find redemption and salvation and restoration. But maybe there's somebody else that they're saved. But a truth be told, like me, maybe we're not fulfilling our duty like we should. Maybe we're, maybe we're thinking it's all about us and not about others. And maybe we're not really focusing on the fact that it's not just about others, but it's mainly about you and pointing people towards you. So, Lord, I just pray right now, whatever the spectrum we're on, on either side, that, Lord, you'd bring us to a place of decision, one, to receive salvation, and the other, to remember and appreciate our salvation and do something with it. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And I pray all these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Um, stay